Well, good morning, EBC. Brownie points for Mark. <laughs> he needs them. <laughs> Lecturer Adlai Stevenson stood before the student body at Princeton and began his speech by saying, I understand I'm here to speak and you're here to listen. Let's hope we both finish at the same time. Now, as one who talks for a living, I can appreciate those words. I understand I'm here to speak, and you're here to listen. Let's hope we both finish at the same time. Now, if you've attended church somewhat regularly, you'll probably listen uh, to 30 to 40 sermons in one year. Over a period of five years, that amounts to 150 to 200 sermons. If you attend a church somewhat regularly for 10 years, you've heard somewhere between 300 and 400 sermons. If you've attended regularly for 20 years, you've heard between 600 to 800 sermons. For 40 years, that would be, well, I think you catch my drift. Most of us in our lifetime have heard a lot of sermons. If you add to that some of your favorite preachers you listen to on the radio or podcasts online, your sermon intake is well into the thousands. The question then becomes, what kind of impact is God's Word having in your life? What kind of impact is God's Word having in your life? You see, the way in which I respond to the Word of God directly determines its impact in my life. Let me say that again. It's rather simple, yet powerful, but it's kind of our takeaway for this morning. The way in which I and we respond to the Word of God directly determines its impact on our life. So if God is going to get through to us through His Word, we must react rightly and receive it Humbly. React and receive. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. It's towards the back of your Bibles, the book of James. Um, and uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 1 again. Now, Pastor James, who's uh, the brother of Jesus, uh, zooms in on what we ought to do whenever we are exposed to God's Word. So, whether that is through a sermon or a Bible study, a community group, a counselor, a personal study, or one-on-one, the way in which we respond to God's Word whenever we're exposed to it directly determines its impact in our lives. Now, James is a very practical book. At times, James is even misunderstood. It was Martin Luther, one of the greatest theologians who ever lived, called James the epistle of straw, for there's nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. With all due respect, I disagree with Martin Luther. It's true that James does not lay out a clear presentation of Jesus' person and work on the cross, but it is a call to Christian action, to living out the gospel we profess and not just believe in. And we've seen that already in our study, haven't we? That when trials come, 
We live out the gospel by responding to them with joy, knowing that this difficulty that we're going through is a process God is taking us through sanctification leading to glorification. It's a process God's taking us uh, through to maturity, to lead us to be more like Christ. See, when difficulties come, we live out the gospel by turning to God for his wisdom, for his view of things, rather than leaning on our own understanding. A call to action, a call to persevere, to be steadfast, is built on the foundation of the gospel. We saw that last week. I really appreciated Dan taking us through what he did in verses 12 through 18. Because what is foundational of James's call to action is the gospel. Now, I want to refer back to where Dan ended last week in verse 18. And so if you have your Bibles open, I invite you to look at verse 18 of James chapter 1. It says, He, God, chose to give us birth, or some translation, brought us forth. But the idea is to give birth through or by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And I read that and go, is that not the gospel? It speaks of birth. What birth? Regeneration, to be born again. It is at that moment in which God's word comes alive in our hearts that we are saved. And so when James starts off in verse 19 in what appears at first to be a new topic with the words, my dear brothers, take note of this, it is connected to verse 18. Really best to translate those opening words of verse 19 as my dear brothers, this we know. And as we ought to do when we come to to Scripture, ask questions. What do we know? Well, we know, verse 18, that he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. So what do believers know? We know the power of God's word to save us, to change us. We know that our response to the word of God that saved us impacted our lives for all of eternity. So James now, as we go to verse 19 and following, he's going to flesh that out some more. Now that we know the power of God's word to change us at our salvation, there's a proper way to respond whenever we're exposed to the word of God. React, receive. That was make up my two headings for this morning. The first heading is react rightly or react properly, react correctly, react rightly. React rightly. All right, let's look at the rest of verse 19. The rest of verse 19. It says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, these three simple duties of discipleship uh, is what can change our lives. Listen well, speak less, calm down. (laughs) All right, let's look at each one of these. Listen well. Listen well. We have to understand something here, that listening well was very crucial um, to this very young church. As they met together, they would have had um, the Old Testament they could read from. But other than that, all communication of the gospel, of the truth, was oral. They were people of the ear. We're more people of the eye. See, the New Testament wasn't even written down yet. I mean, it's very likely, in my opinion, others back this up, that James was the first book written in the New Testament. 
And so they had to listen and listen well as it was given out to them. If not, they're going to miss a lot. And so they would be quick to listen. And, and, and literally, it is hurry up and listen. Quick to listen, by the way. It's a continuous command, which means we are to keep at it. We don't do it once and we're all set for life. And we have to work at listening better, don't we? I mean, not only in our human relationships, and we could spend a lot of time right there, but my point for this morning is we need to listen well when it comes to the Word of God. Because our tendency is, when we come to, to God's Word, is our minds are already made up. So we don't really hear what it's saying to our lives. And the result is we go off on all kinds of tangents. Diana Bonnet, a listening consultant and author of the, of the book, Business of Listening, gives this example. Diana Bonnet says, a $100,000 error was caused by a dispatcher who routed a fleet of drivers to deliver building materials to the wrong state. The dispatcher heard the city Portland, but quit listening before he heard the state Maine. The result, eight trucks, 3,000 miles away in Portland, Oregon. Okay, how do we do that? Do we, do we come to God's word and go, I already know what this is going to say. My mind's already made up. I mean, James puts his finger, does he not, on a great need in the church today, for we don't listen well. When it comes to being exposed to God's word, exposed to it, we're not lacking. I mean, we are stuffed with preaching and teaching today. We hear a lot of teaching. But are we listening? As Paul Simon put it, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening. Do you realize, and this is really a scary thought, but do you realize that we can become sermon-proof? We can get to that place where we no longer really benefit from the Word of God. It just kind of bounces off of us. Church, listen. If you can hear the Word of God and not be affected by it in some way, then there may be some serious questions that you need to ask about your faith. I mean, can I I be that blunt? I mean, if, if, if it just kind of bounces off of you, then it really should be of little surprise that your Christianity is dull, your faith is lifeless, and you're stagnant in your growth. Listen well. And to listen well, we must what? Slow down. Often our prayer is, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You have 60 seconds. (laughs) Rush, rush, rush. Who has time to be still and listen? And the danger with that kind of pace is we simply just hear what we want to hear and no more. Kind of like the, the, the grandfather who asked his grandson, what do you want for lunch? Do you want a you want sandwich? Do you want some soup? Or do you want macaroni for lunch? Do you want a sandwich, some soup, or macaroni for lunch? And the grandson said, did you say cake? <laughs> right? How often... Have you walked away from exposure to God's Word and hear what you want to hear? God says, blessed are the peacemakers. And we go, did you say cake? Blessed are the protesters? 
God says forgive. God says serve. God says submit. God says love. And we hear something else entirely. And, and, and we can complicate the simplest commands. Why? Because I really don't want to do what it's telling me to do. So I'm going to do all kinds of this mental gymnastics. I mean, how have you, or have I, approached his word set on what it is you want to do? And you can't hear what God's telling you to do. Listen to what it says or hear what you prefer. Listen well is coupled with be slow to speak. Second thing, speak less or be a little more reluctant to speak. Now again, in our context here, in the times that James was written, it was very common for the preaching to be very interactive. It wouldn't be unusual at all in that culture for people to react to the preaching by speaking out during the sermon. Right, some preachers, some styles, Dan does that a lot. He'll kind of invite you to, to answer the questions he puts out to you. That's a, that's a very good uh, method of, of, of communication. But in our culture, if you just started talking while I'm preaching, it would be very disruptive. Don't do it. Okay, don't, don't do it. That doesn't work in our culture. In that culture, they did it. They heard it and they say, answer. They'd say something. That's what they would do. So James here, he gives a command. He says, listen more, congregation, speak less. And yet often the opposite's true. We're often slow to listen and quick to speak. And so what happens in human relationships is, as we kind of just jump to, to, to all kinds of wrong conclusions, because we're not really listening, I just can't wait to tell you how brilliant I am, and I want to give you some advice here, and so I'm quick to give you advice. I'm, I'm, I'm quick to pronounce some opinion on every situation in person, whether you want it or not. And rather than be quick to give our advice on everything and try to impress others with our, our knowledge of God's Word, it would do us well to do everything, every, do us well and everyone else a favor if we practice being slow to speak. You've heard the saying. We have two ears and one mouth, therefore we should listen twice as much as we speak. Make sense? I like this one better. If you ran as much as your mouth did, you'd be in great shape. <laughs> Ow. If you ran as much as your mouth did, you'd be in great shape. We speak, we ought to speak less. Apparently, a former governor of New Jersey, Robert B. Maynor, uh, had a bit of a reputation, he kind of liked to hear himself talk. And so much so that a, a, a restaurant owner put a picture of him in his restaurant window, and in the picture, the governor happened to have his mouth open, and immediately above, above it was the sign saying, open 24 hours a day. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you want that said of you. Keep our mouths shut. And when we do, it makes room for thinking, pondering, meditating on what has been said. It means we, we come to the Word of God with a realization that we don't have it all figured out. And the longer we sit under the teaching of God's Word, here's the danger again, there's this risk 
that since we've been under it for so long we, that we've heard all this before and we kind of know it all. And we know what the preacher's going to say before he says it. And we go, well, tell me something I don't know. Dangerous place to be. For God's word to have its greatest impact on our lives, we had to listen well and speak less. React rightly whenever you're exposed to God's word. Now, James mentions one other way we're to react. Calm down. Calm down or restrain your anger. Now, in the original here, these three phrases, they aren't separated by a conjunction and. They're connected like links in a chain. All three are very closely related and they refer, I believe, to the proper response to the word of God. So you ask, how is anger connected to the hearing of God's word? How does anger speak to a proper response? I'm glad you asked. Haven't you noticed that there are things in the word of God that make you angry? God's word confronts me on something in my life that needs to be addressed. I mean, I mean if you read God's word for yourself and, and you sit under the teaching of God's word, God will press his finger on a nerve at one time or another, if not always. I mean, it, it can be rather aggravating. It can make me angry. Stop doing that, Lord. Put your finger on somebody else in the room. See, when God's word hits close to home, your first reaction might be to respond with defensiveness. And that defensive, angry spirit will reject the truth. And anger will block you from receiving the word. You see, an angry spirit is never a listening spirit. So calm down. (laughs) So you can better reflect on what God wants to say. Let me ask you a question. How did you react recently when someone confronted you with the truth? How is your angry, defensive spirit killing something good that God wants to produce in your life? Because we have rationale for this command down in verse 20. He says, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. It doesn't produce in me my anger what God wants for me. And so your angry reactions won't lead to righteous living in our lives and the people around us. Right living doesn't thrive in an environment of anger. And I believe we need to think through our anger some more. The word for anger here. Um, by the way, speaks to a deep-seated anger. It's uh, that irritation inside that you keep rolling over your mind and feeding on. That anger doesn't produce the righteous life that God desires. And so the person who leaves the church in anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. That person who walks out on his or her spouse in anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The ones who explode in anger at a business meeting or a pastor who angrily chides his flock or the ones who scream in hate at a public demonstration over a moral issue or the parent who degrades his child in anger or to to rip someone to shreds or to lash out at a school board meeting does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Church, do we believe that? 
Human anger does not fulfill spiritual ends. Does it? Our responding in anger does not, it says, accomplish what is right in God's eyes. Now, there are so many reasons to be mad today, right? Turn on the news, whatever. Church, we all, we, I said we, we all need to calm down a little, okay? We, we need to calm down a little. I'm not suggesting being indifferent and apathetic, but be slow to anger, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, it's usually right here that someone says, but there is a place for righteous indignation. There is, there is. James doesn't address it. I heard a preacher say this past week. Think on this. God is not necessarily mad at everything you think he is. Now think on that. God is not necessarily mad at everything you think he is. Now my quoting that just might have made you mad. (laughs) Because he is. Sort it out. The point though here is in our anger, we have to be careful, very careful, because we can give the devil an opportunity. Read Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In our anger, we can close our mind to God's truth. Our anger can block God's word from penetrating our lives because we get tunnel vision. I mean, let's be honest. How does God's word get through to you when you're all worked up? I mean, if you're seething in resentment or bitterness right now, do you really think that God's word is going to have much of an impact in your life? I mean, if you walked into the service this morning full of anger, is it any wonder that you exit the service, gotten very little, if nothing, out of our time together? React rightly. Listen well. Speak less. Calm down. All right. We got to go to receive humbly. React, receive. Receive humbly. Second heading this morning. Look at verse 21. Therefore, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Now, let me just stop here for a minute. For what it's worth, (laughs) the word filth is related to a word used to speak of the wax in our ears. Now, I don't know, maybe that was on James's mind as he talked about hearing, and then there's this buildup of wax in their, their ears. That's ah, kind of a little gross. But what filth is there in our lives that's clogging our hearing? James gives us a very simple strategy for dealing with that filth and the evil that, of the world that's contaminating us. He doesn't say, play with it, He doesn't say, just kind of ease off on it a little bit, or or maybe you don't want to clean it up a little. No, no. He says, verse 21, get rid of it. What does get rid of it mean? Get rid of it. And in the original, it is very strong language, because the image here is of throwing away old, dirty, stinky, unwanted clothes. It's not saying clean those soiled garments. It's it's saying throw them away because they are too far gone to be salvaged. That's the picture. And I was was trying to find a picture that might capture in our day clothes that would be that bad and stinky that we need to throw away because they're just so filthy. 
And the only thing I could come up with, well, actually the second thing I could come up with, you don't want to know the first thing I came up with, but the second thing I came up with is that would be clothes sprayed by a skunk. Now, I suppose there are ways to get that stink out. I don't know. But your best bet might be to dig a hole in the backyard and bury them. What are we to do with the clothes of self-righteousness and stinky attitudes that get in the way of our receiving what God has for us? Not to be managed, they're not to be endured, not to be gradually eased out, rather entirely removed. Why? Why is this removal of our dirty laundry so critical to what James has been talking about? Because beautifully tucked into the section of Scripture is a short verse, which is a simple command that ties the whole section together. It's really the main verb in this section. End of verse 21. And humbly accept or receive. That's the main verb in the section. Receive, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. We get rid of that dirty laundry so we can be in a better position to receive the word. And humbly receive. Elsewhere in Scripture... We're told to put on, I mean, we put off this, but we're told to put on clothes. We're to, we're to clothe ourselves, put on humility. It tells us in, in Colossians 3.12 and 1 Peter 5.5, 5, put that on. Because pride shuts out God, uh, shuts God out from speaking to us, humbly invites him in. Are you receiving what God has to say to you? Are you welcoming it? Another idea of what receive means. Are you welcoming God's word in your life? Do you, do you welcome the, the word as you would a longtime friend? Do you, do you welcome God's word as you would a delicious meal at the finest of restaurants? Do you, do you welcome God's word as you would the air you breathe? For it's the word, James says, that's planted in you, which can save you. Now, we've come full circle. Here's the gospel. This is what saved you, he says. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? The word of truth. The word of truth that saved us is the gospel. The word of truth that Jesus died in your place. The word of truth that Jesus satisfied the required payment for your sin before a holy God. That's the word that gave you life. That is the word that saved you. And it's the same word, James says, that's planted or implanted in you. Now serious planters, it would not be me, but serious planters, before they do any planting, would want to find out the condition of their soil. You can either, uh, perhaps there's several ways, but one way you can, send, you can test your soil is you can send a sample of your soil to a laboratory, or I suppose you could pick up a do-it-yourself soil test. But it tests how good your soil is for what? Growing things. You'll find out if, it, if your soil, uh, there's good nutrients in your yard or, or if it's too acidic or too alkaline. A gardener is responsible to make sure the soil is in good condition before planting any seeds. It begs the question, what's the condition of your soil? Is it filled with the acid of anger? Is it, is it filled with the alkaline of, of hardness, unwilling to listen? Because there's nothing wrong with the seed right? 
I mean, the seed is good. God has planted the seed of his word in your heart. That seed, that word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, it tells us in Hebrews 4.12. This word can train us in righteousness, having the power to thoroughly equip us for every good work, we're told in 2 Timothy 3. What kind of reception have you been giving to the word of God lately? How's your soil? I mean, do you come eagerly and expectantly to the Word of God? 18th century British preacher Roland Hill, he spoke of how some people, when they go to hear a sermon, are critical of the preacher and his delivery. I have to watch out for that. It's an occupational hazard. But we all do it. He then said, you know, the critical preach, one who's critical of the preacher and his delivery, he compared that to listening to someone's final will and testament. And he said, suppose you went to hear the will of one of your relatives read and you were expecting a legacy, some money from him. Would you hardly think of criticizing the manner in which the lawyer read the will? I doubt it. You would be all attentive to hear whether anything was left to you and how much. He then asked the question, isn't that the way we should come to hear the word of God preached? Wow, what is it? Attentive. Actively listening. Walk away from that asking, what is this saying to someone else in the room? No. Walking away and going, oh, I got to give this sermon to someone. There's a place for that. There is. But we ought to be leaving, asking, what is this saying to me? Because the way in which I respond to the Word of God directly determines its impact in my life. I mean, is it enough, church? Is it enough to hear God's word and think, what an inspiring message? There was this popular actor who was in a a crowded theater. He was known, this actor was known for his magnificent monologues. He had people on the edge of their seats with his captivating stories. The audience waited in the room with anticipation for the show to begin when unbeknownst to them, a fire had broken out in the wings of the theater. The manager goes to the actor and he says, you know, we could really have a bad situation here. There's a fire. I mean, it's not out of control. But if the people smell smoke or if the people hear the word fire, they're all going to head for the exit at once and, and it could be a disaster. So the manager says to this actor, you know, they've come to hear you. I suggest... You go out on the stage and you tell them about the fire, but tell them in such a way that they would leave in an orderly fashion. So this popular actor goes out on the stage and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I have an announcement to make. Give me your attention. I don't want there to be any undue harm, but I want you to listen carefully. A small fire, he said, is broken out in this theater. There's plenty of time for all of us to leave, so I'm going to ask that right now we stand in an orderly way, we vacate the premises. 
And the crowd applauded, wonderful, wonderful, what a fine actor, the people said. They thought it was part of the act, just a story. So he came back on the stage again a second time. He said, no, 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 no. This is not part of the act. This is real. There is a fire. Now there's plenty of time for you if you just get up now and exit in an orderly way. And the people applauded, bravo, bravo. Isn't he a great actor? They said to one another. And realizing the gravity of the situation, he got down on his knees and with tears, he said, please, for your safety, leave the theater. Wow, see those tears? They said to one another. Church, we can ooh and ah over our favorite speaker. Maybe a favorite Bible story. We can wow. But are we listening? I mean, really listening. React and receive. Don't divorce the word from our daily lives. And we're going to pick up more of that next week. I hope you join me. I hope you join me next week. Let's pray. God, help us to tune in and really say in all genuineness, speak for your servant is listening and you have more than 60 seconds. May this stay with us throughout today, throughout the week, different times when we hear messages, we read the word for ourselves, we're sitting in a community group or a Bible study, whatever it might be. May we allow your ancient words that are ever true, change me, change our lives. For that is what pleases and honors you. So help us with the application of this, immediate application of this, and as it lingers on, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.